0: If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Alison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more. Wherever you get your podcast, thank you so much for listening. Later on.
1: Good day, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with. Folk musicians. I am Lizzie No, and I'm here with host Cindy Howes. How are you, Cindy?
2: I've been watching a lot of curb your enthusiasm <laughs> and I'm watching the season, uh, the the newest season mm-hmm. where Larry has to hire this like terrible actress named Sophia Maria for his TV show he's working on and she her acting sounds exactly like your intro. I have no idea what you mean, Cindy. So the only difference is that she would make one of the lines sound really sultry. What do you mean, sultry? Yep, that's it.
1: You got it. I was watching Looney Tunes the other day. My stepchildren have never seen Looney Tunes. Oh, my God. We watched Looney Tunes for the first time. And Larry David is kind of just like the live action Bugs Bunny. Oh, really? (laughs) kind of just stirs shit up. And there's like weird situations, but they're always relatable. And it's all plot-based. Like, it's all just like, okay, this thing happens, and then as a result, this and that and that and that. It's just like logic and game theory.
2: Huh. I would love to hear what Larry David has to say about Bugs Bunny. Let's get him on the pod. Okay. Oh, my God. That'd be so great. Basic Folk (laughs) is a podcast uh, on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can sign up for our newsletter, which I usually remember to send every month um, sign up for that at basicfolk.com. You can also follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, no TikTok. You can also make a financial <laughs> contribution and support us at our website, basicfolk.com. There you can click on the donate button. Send us five bucks a month because uh, you like us. If you'd like a little thank you gift, you can go to the shop send us five bucks a month and we'll send you a handmade basic folk beanie that are made by Patricia Howes. They're so cute. She's my mom.
1: Something that I've just gotten into, and I feel like I'm the last person on earth who has not read this book already. I am reading A Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Hot damn, what a great book. Really? It is so good. It is so good, Cindy. And everyone's like, yeah, it's the best sci-fi book ever. But I feel like I'm in a season of life where sci-fi is really like on my mind and I'm interested in it. I read Dune last year and then I was like, you know what? Sign me up for more sci-fi. Everyone should read this book. It is like, I think the cliche thing about it, the cliche thing to say about it is that it's so weirdly prophetic about like what is going on in the world now and the setting of the book is in... 2024, which was like a, you know, not so distant That's future nice when it was written. So this is the perfect time to read Parable she, of the Tower. Did
2: she write it in like the 70s or the 80s?
1: I think it came out in the early 90s.
2: Okay. I read her book, Kindred, on my honeymoon last year, and it was disturbing. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I think
1: I've seen descriptions of that show, and I don't even actually want to share my reaction
2: Mm. skip yeah. over it hard, hard parts <laughs> hard parts we want to give a shout out to our lord and savior Rhiannon Giddens who just announced that Well, at the time that this comes out it'll be like two weeks out that she's announced her new album, You're the One it's coming out August 18th the same day that this lady won the Pulitzer Prize for music she won the gosh darn Pulitzer as she should have you heard her new song? No, I haven't. Oh wow, I'm so excited! So this new album, it's all original songs, which is a new thing for Rhiannon. The title track is out. Um, You're the one is what it's called, and it like it makes me like want to do cartwheels. It's so fun. I'm so
1: excited to listen. I'm going to listen as soon as we're done recording. Mother's Day is coming up. At the time that this episode comes out yes it
2: would have passed
1: it will have passed but at the time of recording it's coming up and I am very proud of the little arrangement that we've come up with in my family um where there are four parents two of whom are non-binary including me we have come up with an alt Mother's Day which is called Lizzie Day it's the night before Mother's (sighs) Day we are going to a monster truck rally with some queer friends and the kids. And I just feel that that is the perfect way to celebrate the role that I play in these children's lives.
2: All I think of when you said monster trucks was, wow, the lighting is going to be terrible and everybody needs ear protection. (laughs) Yes, we should bring earplugs and
1: open hearts. I'm, I'm ready to be wowed. What else? Should we get to our guest? Yeah, let's talk about our guest. Our guest today is a friend of mine. And an artist who I think is the New York music scene's best kept secret, his name is Matt Susich. There's so much to say about Matt Susich, but what I want to open your eyes to is this. Lately in my experience of being a host on Basic Folk, I've I've noticed that I'm really drawn to artists who are not only doing interesting things in their music, but are also kind of changing the how of how we share music and how we experience music as fans. Matt Susich is one of these artists. I first noticed his live streams a couple of years ago. He has like such a dedicated following on his live streams. And I like just kind of caught sight of this out of the corner of my eye on the internet. And I was like, there's something special going on here. This is a person who is creating community with their work and is really intentionally inviting their fans into a shared space of trust and openness and the more i've gotten to know his work the more it kind of like is adding up to this is a person who like really takes their audience seriously um and and i've learned a lot from him from following his career his album don't be so hard on yourself is like Such an amazing pandemic album that I think everyone needs to listen to. But we mostly talked about his new record, Holy Smokes, which is out now on Five and Dime Records. It's a beautiful album. Um, It features some vocals from Kathleen Edwards, who I'm a huge fan of and who Matt has toured with a lot. We talk a lot about humor in this episode because I think Matt's really funny. And he brings puppets and comedians along for the ride in his live shows and we got to talk about muppets and you know day jobs and love and life you're really going to enjoy the episode and i think if you don't know his music already you really need to
2: we'll take a listen to a song from his new album this is give love and then we'll get to our conversation with matt susich and lizzie no on basic folk
3: What are you worried about? Listen to the waves, there's no better sound And keep your feet on the ground What are you worried about? What well, does not matter where we go? I get the feeling that we'll never know It's better just to let it go It's best to leave it alone But ooh, give love and be kind And peace may find you ooh Get lost inside of your mind And have yourself an existential crisis Yeah, open up a bottle of wine And get lost inside of your mind or Think about a past life Oh, who had the last laugh What was your life like? Did you have a husband or a wife? Or did you die alone? Ooh Give love and be kind and Peace may find you Ooh Love and be kind find you. Ooh, giving,
1: love set you free. matt susich welcome to basic folk thank you lizzie we don't have time for pleasantries who is the funniest person you know
0: the funniest person i know
1: mm-hmm. in real life
0: oh man i shouldn't be thinking about it this long but uh mike Dicenzo probably okay probably does it for me
1: what makes mike the funniest person you know
0: um we have a very similar uh, sense of humor and we've just done some silly things together. And so, you know, you build a history with someone and Mm -hmm. I think that informs what makes you laugh. You know what I'm saying? So like, apart from like, of course you get your like, your popular comedians who can tell jokes and make you laugh but then there's, you build a personal history with someone and then you Mm -hmm. have all these inside jokes that also add to that. So on top of like the normal funny, there's the personal funny. Mm -hmm. So there's all these kind of things
1: interesting wait so that so if that I think like that definition of humor or that way of relating to humor kind of means that over time things get funnier because the more context you have and the more layers of reference you have the funnier it is absolutely Um, what made you laugh a lot as a kid like what grabbed your attention Um, What delighted you
0: my dad laughing so I always think about the things that made him laugh and then uh, like what like Monty Python um yeah so at a young age it was a lot of monty python it was a lot of naked gun
1: mm-hmm. like so
0: the like leslie nielsen mm-hmm. movies um airplane and, and such
1: i love airplane so much yeah i think it might be the funniest movie ever made
0: yeah it's one it's one of them those those are the
1: it's kareem abdul jabbar
0: right 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 <laughs> exactly and it, it, the left turns of mm-hmm. comedy are like my favorite things about that and also the muppets you know like i mean yeah i'm a, I'm a huge muppet fan um
1: where did that start what are your earliest memories of the muppets like was that like you're like a daily watching the muppets as a kid type thing
0: um i have more of a memory of muppet babies the cartoon mm-hmm. right um i just think that's a generational thing the muppet show was probably done and you know mm-hmm. it was dated by the time i was growing up with memory so it was probably repeats of that um
1: oh you know what? i was movies, conflating muppets and sesame street sure and Not that's the, the thing same. but
0: yeah. you know what they're very similar yeah and the sesame street is probably the the introduction to like the puppets. You yes. know what I mean? Like fully. Um, and I think the Muppet movies were very much in mm-hmm. my life, that kind of thing. And then like the, this you know, my, my closest friend growing up again, this is goes back to that comedy thing too. It's like you have all this personal mm-hmm. relationship. So because he was so so close to the Muppets, I was by default close to the Muppets. Yes. And so all of my love of the of the movies came from just hanging out with my friend Scott. Got it. And like constantly quoting them, you know, and it's almost one of those things where like, oh, I feel like I've seen this movie and I haven't seen it um, because I know all of the major. Oh, they you know like I mean? it was
1: a planted memory.
0: Right. And I mean, obviously, I've seen the movies, mm-hmm. but at the time, I think a lot of it had to do with just constantly quoting it around
1: mm-hmm. my friend. Do you feel like that? Um, relational sense of aesthetics impact how you relate to your audience now I have a hunch but I'd like to hear you say your thoughts
0: yes I think mystique is gone I think anybody who can pull off mystique these days is a wizard and I'm impressed by it and I've always been impressed by it no matter what
1: Who do you have examples of people you find mysterious or like um, artists you find mysterious
0: current artists
1: mm-hmm.
0: no Um, but I think like somebody, when I was, when I was impressionable Mm -hmm. and new at music in my early twenties, some people like, um, like Jim James, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he has a very mysterious way about him. And I was just, you know, dumbstruck by it. I was, it was, I'm in awe of that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um,
1: and I think that's real. Every time I run into him, he seems like the most mysterious.
0: Yeah, but he, dude he does a really ever. good job of being. He does a really good job of being personable mm-hmm. and 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 pleasant. When I say mysterious, I mean almost. You know, and obviously it's, it's such a unique example, but like a Dylan esque mystique is it will never happen again.
1: It's over. And yeah. why is that?
0: Well, just because of social media and mm-hmm. I think all that stuff. So like, you're going to deal with people giving way too much information about themselves, whether they. Are trying to or not? Yes, you know, um, you're still able to find out so much about these people that you adore so easily. And I think, as much as I wanted that, grow, like going to concerts and and enjoying music at an impressionable age, I was always wildly impressed with the bands that it bordered on rude, but like the bands that didn't say anything to the mm-hmm. audience. I'm always so impressed by that because I have a lot to say, and I'm not necessarily giving my life story on stage, but like I love to to banter in between yeah and i don't think i do it to an annoying degree but i definitely don't do it to such a calm state where like you're just saying hello between every fifth song you know what i mean yeah. like that's some next level restraint that i don't you know i don't want it anymore but once upon a time i did okay I don't, why I don't, don't want you that. want it anymore because i love the communication mm-hmm. i love i love getting to know the people in a way that like you know i'm very much the artist in the scenario mm-hmm. you know it's i'm i'm kind of one of these people who's mildly antisocial off stage and it's that's it's that classic conversation of people who are like but you're not you're not introverted like i've seen you but no you don't understand like it's not it doesn't come naturally to me no. like it's like a thing like when it's on it's on but most times i don't want it to be on and so when i'm not on stage it's hard for me to like have those conversations with people it's hard for me to be social and cool in a room that's it and when i'm on stage it's so much easier for Interesting. me Interesting Yeah
1: well i noticed that I was actually so surprised by how different you are performing than you are in person because I think yeah I you notice that you're a lot more extroverted on stage and I wonder because I've experienced this in my own career like when I first started performing I'm I can be really shy and it's really hard to know what to say to people like conversationally mm-hmm. like. We're songwriters, we know what to say in the songs. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to know what to say in conversation. So do you get the sense that you have like a separate performer Matt identity? That's not the same as like sitting here in your apartment, Matt, or party Matt? Uh, uh,
0: I I don't, I feel like, but now that you bring it up, yeah, I guess without thinking about it, there is that different person because when you're on stage, you're, I am doing a different thing than I would off stage. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm in my head. They're not different people. Um, but I've spoken to people about this, like part of coping with this industry and how crazy it is, Mm -hmm. is being able to separate the two because otherwise you have no sanctuary. Like if you can't separate the persona from the personal life, then you're always, which is something I battle with is you're always dealing with like the, the downs. There's just like the highs and lows are always there, but the lows are more common. If you're, if you're living the life versus oh, this is a person this is a person i can leave at work got it you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's that's something i think is has value but i've never separated i don't have like a separate name you know what i mean i've right. never changed my name i never did anything to like separate it so it's very much me in my head
4: mm-hmm.
0: um and and i think that goes back to your original question is like this is what i want to build this relationship with people i i know most of the fans' names, mm-hmm. you know, um, and maybe that's telling of how few fans I have, but it's it in my head. It's like, this is a relationship that I'm grateful for. And so I want to keep the conversation alive, not just you came to see me sing songs and I'm going to barely look at you, play all of them, <laughs> get off stage and go on to the next city like i don't know for me it's more of a engagement thing
1: um and how did the pandemic impact that like i think the first time i saw you play music was one on one of your 901 p.m Mm -hmm. live streams and it seemed like i mean by the time i tuned in you had already a lot of momentum and like you had regulars Mm -hmm. and that's something that a lot of artists i think struggle to find like if I talk to people who are just starting out in singer-songwriter land. It's like, how do you get those regulars? How do you get those Mm -hmm. super fans who really come along for the ride of your career? Um, So like, what did the pandemic teach you about maintaining that relationship with your fans and what kind of fans you had?
0: Yeah. Um, The pandemic just made it regular. Mm -hmm. Um, I had started doing live streams before it.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. What Um, was the impetus behind it?
0: I don't remember. It was just, uh, I think maybe it was just, the having the medium Mm -hmm. i feel like maybe i don't remember the timeline but i feel like maybe instagram made it easier to do live streams Mm -hmm. i i'm not like a completely tech savvy person so i don't have Mm -hmm. live stream capabilities to a certain degree Um, i'd
1: like to interject that for those that are just listening matt set up this session that we're recording right now and it's in my opinion very high tech and very professional.
0: Different, different tech savvy. I'm not like video tech savvy. Got it. <laughs> so I don't, and I don't understand how people, even even now, as we speak, I'm always, I'm still impressed by people who are doing Instagram live streams with proper audio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, how did that ever happen? I never figured out. I never looked it up. I never looked up how to make that happen.
1: I feel like you had to already have that capability. Like I did yeah. really. I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I did really good live streams in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And it's because I had a person a manager who knew mm. how to do it yeah and he would come to my house and like set up a mic right i don't know how you do but it what,
0: but what is there and it's, it's a piece in between what <laughs> do you mean like, like what are you plugging the microphone into
1: um okay be- i guess the you know audio I mean? wasn't the best like something something like this can like, like the microphone phone? yeah oh, your phone oh, mic can actually get you, pretty yeah. pretty good quality well that's the thing
0: my phone mic was doing mm-hmm. the job as far as i was concerned like all i did or was just like a, one of those
1: little red crimson boxes. you know the little yeah yeah preamp thing that's like this yeah
0: how do you get that? to? That's one of my question is, how do you to get the, get to the to, phone to the go live with you? OK,
1: you actually have to do it, I think, through your computer to Facebook. Yeah. And, 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 and also, say, those facts have fled my mind. Of course.
0: Here's where I say fuck that. Yeah. No. I wasn't going to, to learn all that stuff just for like, it's just me and a guitar and my literally just pushing the record button and yeah. just go live on Instagram was sounded great. No one had complaints about the sound and I wasn't great. about to be like, this is going to be perfect anyway. I'd started doing them and I did them at weird times. So I would do like, I would post on an Instagram story, like, hey, I'm gonna go live tonight at 7.32. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing, just to make it people love funny. That shit. Yeah, sure. And I don't remember why I started doing them, but I did them very infrequently. They weren't the same day and they mm-hmm. weren't the same time. And then the pandemic made it regular. So like, that's when it started. And I chose 901 because everybody was live streaming. Mm-hmm. So I figured it gives you a minute to get over to the next person. So somebody's oh, live streaming at eight really o'clock, like, oh, here you go. <laughs> like. There's going to be done it because I'll remember also Instagram yeah. cut it off in an hour. So, oh, really, that was back in the day when, like, it stopped it. So it turned you it, it stopped your your live stream no matter what after an hour. So I figured if That's people are doing it an hour, <laughs> eventually, eventually they fixed it. And then I was that that was where that started. So they I don't they came. Um, I have to give credit. I think it was Adam Duritz um, from Counting Crows. Yeah, who, we know who Adam Duritz is. Well, not a lot. Of, I'm just. <laughs>
1: I think Just it's a huge flex as a, oh, listeners, our listeners. Context. Sorry, listeners, I'm bullying our guest. <laughs> I don't think you it's know, not I mean, the first time. There's
0: plenty of people who who don't know who a lot of famous people are. Okay, you're right. Um, but he he um, says very nice things about me in in, in the past and present, <laughs> and uh, and he brought a lot of people to, to to me, and I think and that was before we even went on tour together. So that was that was pre-pandemic and. Then the pandemic, making it regular, um, just all it did was fuel the fire. Mm -hmm. And so like they they made it, it was um, appointment listening. It was just the way they do like ratings, you know, it was just people came every Thursday and it was nice. And it was the same little group, you know, and Mm they're wonderful and they made their own t-shirts and you know, um, it's really sweet. It's really, it was really nice. And so that's where that, a lot of that relationship comes from that personal, there's something very intimate about looking into your phone Mm -hmm. and having all that, that relationship.
1: who Mm -hmm. told the Huffington Post, I lived a whole other life before I decided to give all of my attention to music. During that time, there was a definite void that I couldn't quite place. And I think it made me a tough person to be around. Mm. Can you talk about that time? Do you feel like there was a period of time where part of your intuition was saying, I'm a musician, and another part was saying, no. Like, what was that conflict for you? What were the obstacles? And how did you finally give yourself permission to say I'm a musician, this is what I'm doing.
0: First of all, excellent, excellent pull, going deep. I do that. Great, can. 2013. Um, yes, th- and it's very true. That was my whole. I'm, I'm late to the party. I've been late to the party my whole life, um, and
1: you have a song about this.
0: Hmm. Which one? Um, on the new few. album yeah, about yeah, yeah, living yeah. to living yeah, too yeah, long yeah. because but you're the opening line. Yes. of the, the record um, is very true to me. Uh, my entire 20s was. And I think this is how I even described it back then. But um, it's just to me, it's just such a real feeling, like that itch you can't find. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I started playing guitar late. I was a late teen, late teens when mm-hmm. I started playing guitar. I didn't start really writing songs that were any good until I was thirty. So my entire twenties, I had released music. I, mm-hmm. You know, you'll never find it. I, I, um, I had, I had performed, but not enough. Um, and every time I performed, I would. I would just beat myself up about how bad it was, even though it probably wasn't that that bad. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Don't be so hard on yourself.
0: Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it was all just a time of knowing so certainly that this is what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but not being able to do it like well,
4: hmm. to
0: my own standard. And being surrounded by people who were either in it in some form. I worked at a radio station that was very popular, so I was surrounded by people who were, who were excelling. You know what I mean? Pop stardom, which oh, I never wow. really wanted, but like still being able to see that wasn't, it was like interesting from, from where I was, that was in a place of like, oh, I just want to do this with my life kind of thing. And then, uh, yeah. And you know, not being able to put pen to paper and make something that I was proud of for the longest time. Uh, and I was in a relationship during that time and it was, you know, the trajectory was standard mm-hmm. um what do you mean
1: by standard like meaning like you them?
0: know it was just we're we're in a relationship we're going down all the we're hitting all the benchmarks and it's it's destined for marriage children that life which buy a house on the island exactly yeah exactly and that kind of thing um i it just didn't interest me in deep down mm-hmm. you know what i mean but uh it unfair unfairly to her mm-hmm. i wasn't i wasn't able to communicate that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and so you know, it went on longer than it it probably should have um, for both of us. And it was just a a matter of time before I I would explode. You know, I just, I was waiting for an opportunity and to to write a fucking song that was decent. And that was what did it, you know, it's so cliche, but like, that's the catalyst. Like we broke up, I went through the depression. Mm -hmm. I finally wrote a song that was worth the damn. And I finally forced myself to go out and play it and meet people, which Mm -hmm. is such a hard thing for me to do for so long. And so that was—I'll never forget it. It was October. It was a month before my thirtieth birthday, Mm -hmm. uh, 2010, and uh, I went to an open mic for the first time, and it was one of the best nights of my life. Like, well, what was
1: the good song? And Uh, yeah, what was the experience? So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't. The reason it's a double-edged sword talking about this because people always ask that, and it's the song I'll never play. Like, I don't play anymore. Um, It's so old. It's on the first record that I that I toy with pulling off the internet. You know. Um, but it does, it's an important part of the story. So it will always live. It's like, it's a song called Jubilation and Jealousy.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and it's just, uh, and I had a couple others that, um, I think I played two that night, but yeah, it was just, I finished the song and I thought, damn, I want someone to hear this for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that was the first time I ever really wanted to do that. And I went and I had this, you know, I had this new persona. It was that, that's what probably I was talking about in that in that uh, article that, from Huffington Post is that I just suddenly felt like a new person and I hmm. wanted to to introduce him to everybody. And I wanted to have this mystique. I think I went to the open mic, you know, I had this beard at the time and um, I had lost all this weight from the depression, you know, and it's like one of those things where like you're this, you know, I have cool new clothes and I was out in the scene doing the thing. That's it, you know, it's,
4: <laughs> yes. it, you have
0: to see the photos to know the difference between the lives. But like, I was just in my mind, I was this, dumpy like nine to five job which it wasn't a nine to five job but it was like i was going to work but
1: symbolically yes. yeah
0: and it was and and i just didn't have a sense of style and you know and all of a sudden snap of a finger on it's it's and it's not all of a sudden it was a decade you know right. of like all this bullshit. <laughs> uh so yeah that was a, that was a, a major turning point and so those are the two lives and that night i just played for you know i was there at the end of the night um I've told this story a million times, but I couldn't get to the sign up for the open mic because I had work. And so I called, it was called Cafe Vivaldi, which is no longer in existence. And uh, I made some of the most important friends of my life there and it was one of the best times. Um, I called the, the open mic, the, the cafe and my friend Rachel, my friend now answered the phone. And I remember saying, I can't make it to sign up. Like, is there any way you could like squeeze me in at some point? She's like, well, just come. And if you hang out to the end of the night, like, in this time, we'll have you. And mm-hmm. I stayed the whole night. And it was like, I got there probably 7.15. I think sign-up was 6. And uh, I watched the room fill up and empty out and fill up and empty out and fill up. And all I wanted to do was play my fucking songs for the whole room, you know what I mean? And I waited and waited and waited. And finally, like 11.30, there's like six people left in the room. And she's like, oh, Matt's still here. Like, do you want to play? And at that point, it was, it was like, you know, there's only six people here. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do it from my chair. Is that OK? Like, there's no need to go up to the stage. There's only six of you in here. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, everybody turns around and watch me, which like, I didn't do on purpose, but it was a heavy moment because everybody turns mm-hmm. around to look at me. I played. The owner of the place was behind me and he's like, oh, I'll do another, do another one. Please do another one. And I played and I just left feeling like a king. You know what I mean? Like, I just left feeling like this is, that's the feeling you're hunting for. I've been mm-hmm. hunting for that feeling for over a decade. I've never felt that before. I'd never played a song to a reception like that. And it was six people, you know? Oh, man, I remember that. I'm going to cry.
1: (laughs) I remember that moment.
0: Yeah, four of them are now like really close friends of mine, you know? I
1: think you need to have that moment. Otherwise, you have to have a moment where you feel like somebody Mm -hmm. um, early enough in your musical journey that it can sustain you through all of the bullshit. Yes. Because there's so much demoralizing Mm -hmm.
0: bullshit. Still. Truly. Yeah, it, never goes, it never goes away.
1: Um, I want you to talk about showing your work because it's something that you've mentioned in interviews in the past, how like some people do try to cultivate mystique mm-hmm. by sort of scrubbing their past, deleting mm-hmm. social media posts, deleting songs, whatever it might be to like curate a new identity each time yeah. they drop a new album. So can you like flesh out your ideology on like showing your work and being authentic?
0: I think at this point I'm <laughs> like I even said it on tape. Two minutes ago, mm-hmm. like I'm guilty of that too. There's there's an EP from another lifetime ago that is it doesn't exist. You mm-hmm. can't find it. Like it won't. You're not gonna find it. So don't look. Um, <laughs> but it's truly, like it, it, it. Um, I do think there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. Like at this point, for me to go back and erase the first record from this life. You know, if I'm separating my lifetimes into it. two lifetimes, the first record that signaled this one. For me to erase that, I think I'd have a hard time doing it, which is why I haven't done it, even though I want to. That is such an important piece to this mm-hmm. story that for me to take it down makes me a hypocrite. And again, I don't think it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything of anybody else. Do what is right to your story, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, I think to say how important it is to, to my persona that showing the work and being that authentic person for me to erase part of it is silly. Um, I don't know. I just think everybody's, we're all the same. Like Mm -hmm. we're all, there's nobody like, I don't know, nobody's pulling songs out of thin air. Show us how you made that. Like that's, that's helpful to people. You know, I think we're in this world of mystique is the mystique is gone. Then let's share that's all you know what i mean (laughs) let's all share how things get done because there's so much like confusion there's so many songwriters now there's so many people who can do it all from their home and put it out um and to you know to an irritating degree i am it's such a funny thing to like toe that line because we're we are those people Mm -hmm. but also those people are annoying you know what i mean and i think it's fair to have those feelings because some of them some some people need to be told that maybe this isn't for you yeah you know i think i like to think i'm not one of those (laughs) right you know but like in in your back of your head you're like all right well what are the people who are on major labels thinking about people like me right you know like so it's a weird it's a the voices in our heads are crazy but i'm just i'm down to like share i you know i don't know if you follow the stuff i post on online but i'm often posting like my pictures of my lyric sheets Mm -hmm. with like pencil scribbles and stuff They're, they're literally right next to you but
1: oh yeah um do you type these on this typewriter yeah (gasps) i'm so glad we're doing this in person i Uh wouldn't have even known to ask that yeah what's the story behind this typewriter uh guys listeners i'm looking at i'll share a photo of this typewriter on the basic folk instagram
0: it's uh i i have always wanted to have a working typewriter Mm -hmm. that like fully worked i had one that was like janky that i got at like a flea market Mm -hmm. once that like wasn't good enough to To like do the project I wanted to do, because like it didn't type in straight lines and some keys didn't work. And then Mike, funniest person I know for context, uh, had bought one that I loved and he told me where he got it and I went and got one. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to follow through this. This part of my process is I write a song in my books, those brown, Mm -hmm. those little black books. I fill up those books and when I write songs in them, I don't feel like it's done until it's been typed. And then I type it. And then I have a hard copy Mm -hmm. of of lyrics, and then if it needs further editing, I edit in pencil on the typed sheet, and that's what we have. Like that's the song Mm -hmm. to me. That's such an important. It's now an important part of the process for me. Yes, because instead of like burying shit in my brain, I'm able to like see it in front of me Mm
4: -hmm.
0: neatly because I have my handwriting. I may as well write with my feet.
1: Um I want to go back to $1000 dinners which is a great album. It sort of comes across as like a working man's folk rock album. Can you talk about how like your origins in Queens and your class identity um shows up in that album and and the sense of work? Hmm. Is that a okay question?
0: That's a yeah, it's an okay question. I don't know that I ever thought of it in that in those terms. But it is the the title comes from a funny story from my time at, at the radio station I worked at. And I don't know that there's much else about it, about that record overall that revolves around that job, but that one song
4: mm-hmm.
0: has comes from that one moment. And that was just me being fed up with the the industry I was in and the idea of the you know, working for someone kind of feeling. Um, and I just had so much animosity towards like the higher ups and the corporate vibe. Um, I was very low on a totem pole Mm -hmm. in commercial radio, you know, and I was kind of a phantom who just like showed up, went to work, got paid very little for very few hours a day, you know, uh, for a lot of work. Like I did much more than I was paid. Um, and at the end it was just a trash place to be. Um, wonderful people. There are a lot of wonderful people mm-hmm. to say that doesn't negate their, their being. It's just the, the corporation overall was, was garbage. Um, <laughs> uh, that, I don't know. I don't think the rest of the record, the rest of the records really a lot of like, you know, sad bastard love songs, I think. Yeah. But that one has a, uh, has its ties in the, uh, corporations.
1: Yeah. Well, the reason I asked about that is also the song. See you soon. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's, there's like a few different people thinking about the government yeah, yeah. in like a big picture sense. There's like these big ideas and then there's the everyday pressures of living. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of my favorite tensions on that record.
0: Well, that's the, that's yeah. Don't Be So Hard on Yourself. Yes.
1: yes. Oh, right, 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 right. That's on the next one. Yeah, yeah. This is why I shouldn't handwrite my... No, it's great. No, it's that's because fine. I put them in the same paragraph. <laughs> but on Don't Be So Hard on Yourself, um, I was really like... Captivated by that line about on I don't about sirens and silence. Is that like a 2020 moment? What was like? What was your sense of reality when writing that song?
0: The, um, I think it's a lot of hand, phone in hand kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. I think I, I go to that a lot uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, but like, all while our hands are tied down, mm-hmm. you know, that's basically just like my, my image whenever I'm singing that song, um, you know, uh, it's a fight against the violence, the sirens and the silence, mm-hmm. all while our hands are tied down. Like all this stuff zooming past us and we're tethered to this, to the, to the phone, to Mm -hmm. the wall. And the phone is tethered to the wall. Like, you know, I think I want to say there was like a vision of, of people who are plugged into a random socket on a random wall somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, those people, um, we're all that person. Like I've been in an airport looking for a, a, you know, Mm -hmm. an open outlet, but, uh, yeah, that, I don't think that's exclusive to 2020. That was really just more, the song, in general, it's 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 speaking to, you know, this lifestyle. Like I, you know, I don't want to. I always say I'm going to leave, but I don't.
1: You're going to leave where? Music. What would you do?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Well, I hope you never find out. <laughs> um, can we talk about how "Certain Vowels" was made? I'd like mm. I'd love to hear you talk about going from the notebook to the typed out page to the demo to that arrangement with the muted piano. It's a really particular. Yeah. Um, sound walk me through
0: um lyrically i played a gig in cambridge at a venue that i won't uh say because
1: tell me off air i love gossip
0: because uh, i i despise the guy who books it <laughs> um but i get off stage and someone who's in the audience who was also a musician came up to me and said she likes the way she said i like the like, it's this, uh, the shape of your mouth when you said certain vowels, is that she said. She's like, I love the shape of your mouth when you say certain vowels. And I, I was would like, love
1: to have that type of uh, game.
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: it was such a, I thought it was such a beautiful compliment. Yeah. And, I, and I wrote it down immediately. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's great. And so then I wrote this whole song around that,
4: mm-hmm.
0: that line and the uh, little, little vignettes kind of thing. And then the recording that was height of pandemic. So that whole record was just me and Jeff Fettig mm-hmm. at the Creamery in Greenpoint. And we scheduled my, like, you know, Sarah, who came, Cold Stone came in and play piano. We had a day for her to come in. Uh, we had a day for Nat Osborne to come in and play some organ parts. Everything else was kind of flown in, you know, uh, Kiyoshi and Lily played uh, guitar and sang harmonies and they did all their stuff remotely, sent it. Um, and so, what happened with the the whole muted piano thing? I love that was it was Jeff's idea because we the muted piano was great, but the the, uh, the way it's produced I love because we really just suck out the room mm-hmm. for her part, and it wasn't done in a way that was like planned for. It was just like I did the take vocal guitar, mm-hmm. and we added to it, and then to give it like a little bit of like interesting character when the, that moment comes in with that piano, the, basically the chorus, we just pulled out my guitar. Hmm. And I must have had to re-sing it because my vocal and my guitar is live. So we'd The room probably, noise
1: would be so yeah, different. Yeah. so
0: whoop, mm-hmm. it's out, piano's in, and it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting, it made for an interesting effect because it gets, it's almost like two different songs getting spliced together. Right. You know?
1: Yeah, and you suddenly have this awareness of the negative space mm-hmm. that's really uh, grabs your attention. Yeah. I am curious. Did you start singing first or playing guitar first?
0: As a person? Mm-hmm. Uh, guitar. Guitar. Yeah. I was, I just picked it up because, again, Scott, uh, my Muppet connection, <laughs> oldest friend, uh, freshman year of college, he came home with one. And I was like, oh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, like, anything you could do, I could do better friendships, you know? And, uh, I had one in my house because my brother probably took like a, a like a class once, mm-hmm. so we had a shitty beginners Yamaha, and uh, yeah, I started playing freshman year of college. I think I started singing sophomore year, ish, um, but yeah, it was never like you know never any kind of like training. Mm-hmm. It was just like out of necessity. And then and what then was I the necessity? Like, uh, we had a we had a band in college. We had this like it was hardly a band. It was just a bunch of us on stage like making noise. And then I just kind of wanted to. There was no organization to it. It wasn't a band. It was no. We weren't like having band meetings. We weren't trying to write songs mm-hmm. together. Um, it was just a, kind of a zoo. And so after the summer break, I came home uh, from a summer working out on Long Island, and uh, I had grown my hair, and I think I had a newly acquired electric guitar, and I had this. I was just like, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this myself, and so I started singing. You know and I was like such a cliche like just you know white kid blues you know like that's where what I wanted it was like I was those were my idols at the time like
1: we're not gonna name names (laughs) no
0: and it was just like that's what that's what it was I I didn't have any interest in um, really writing a song Uh, I didn't really care about lyrics Uh, for me if a song didn't have a guitar solo I didn't care I don't want to I don't want to hear it Uh, until and this is honest to God truth uh, until Desert, This Desert Life by Counting Crows. Mm-hmm. That record came out the same year, 1999. And, uh, and then that got me into, that was like a gateway to, like, Dylan and Springsteen, and, you know, from there, it just went, and, and Petty. And that was the, I, I don't think Counting Crows was a gateway to Petty. Scott I has to get full credit for Petty, but, like, it was, that was, he, Adam Duritz was the reason I, I tried to write lyrics. Songs like Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, mm-hmm. like, to me, whether I knew it at the time, I did not. But, like, the fact that, that song doesn't have a bridge yes. is, like, one of the defining characteristics of some of my favorite, of my own songs. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck a bridge. If you can't come up with a bridge, don't no. put it in there. You don't need to force one, you know?
1: Let's talk about Holy Smokes. Mm-hmm. First things first, what do you think happens to us after we die? Uh,
0: I don't know. I think it's a dicey topic. Uh,
1: But really, like, what do you, Matt, personally think?
0: I think nothing happens. Okay. Um,
1: And so what do you want done with your body when you die? Burn me. Burn, okay.
0: Yeah. Scatter my ashes wherever you think I want them scattered. Maybe by the time that happens, I'll want them scattered somewhere. But um, I think I take up enough space living, you know? I don't think I need to be buried somewhere to, you know, like... I think cemeteries are a little bit of a dated thing. Let's get rid of them.
4: You yeah. know, look
0: at all that land. We can but put... the,
1: what the transition process is what's tricky.
0: Yeah. What do you of, mean? Oh. Of
1: converting cemeteries. Yeah, to Yeah. Just... No, no, it's done.
0: What's done is done. You know, we can. <laughs> no, no, no. They're... You can get
1: in trouble with that. Yeah, yeah.
0: The, what's done is done. But I don't think we need to keep finding places to put dead bodies. Yeah. This is a dark topic. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I don't just like. I get it. I. I don't want to knock anybody's beliefs and and in, in that regard, but personally. I don't think I need to take up any more space when I'm gone.
4: Okay.
1: So let's get rid of me. Um, the sound of Holy Smokes is different than, I would say, I mean, it's a, the sound is different and, I, and I'm getting the sense that the process was extremely different. Like your previous album, Don't Be So Hard on Yourself, a lot of parts were flown in remotely. Holy Smokes was recorded over like a very short period of time in one place, in one time with a very small and limited group of people. Can you talk about Paul Lawrence studio? Can you give me like a crime scene vibe of like, what did the studio look like when you went in and how did those conditions impact what we hear on the record?
0: Um, he Paul is one of the most buttoned up guys I've ever known. Um, and we've worked together a lot mm-hmm. uh, over the past 10 years. Um, and everywhere we've worked together, many different studios, it's always his gear. I'm always wildly impressed that he can move locations mm-hmm. so easily, and I'm sure easy is not the word, but Um, this was his first endeavor in Nashville. He moved, uh, rented a house, Mm -hmm. moved all the gear, which is no small feat. And when I showed up, we, this is the first record being made for five and dime records, Mm -hmm. like, you know, in an official capacity, like that isn't Paul's and, um, and the studio, it was the first thing to be done. So I walked in expecting it to be a little bit more ready than it was, but I wasn't concerned. Um, it just was, you know, there's boxes everywhere. There's some like some wrapping like plastic wrap for things that had just been shipped. Um, and, you know, it's it's a house. So the live room is not huge.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's also the control room. And then there's the living room and this it's the rest of the house. So. We just figured out where the best place to go. I'm not a um, a crazy. I don't have this like. I don't like go snapping into corners like looking for the best acoustics. You know, I'm not one of these people. Uh, I'll set up a microphone. God bless those people. <laughs> like literally anywhere, uh, and just to get the the sound. Um, and so we had me in the living room uh, for the most part. And yeah, he he hired the musicians, and that was pretty much it. They we had we had a band for three days. Mm-hmm. I was there for I think 16 or 17 total. Uh, maybe no, that's too many. 12 or 13, I think.
1: For the whole record?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um we, so we came in, we had a day that we demoed uh, for no reason. It really was just a matter of to make sure like the that I think everything worked. Um But
1: were you were you creating like scratch tracks with a tempo or no?
0: No, 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 no. No, we were just um we went in Literally just like he, I think it was the idea of like, oh, let's maybe we, maybe for added content, yes. like here's a, here's an acoustic version of all the same th- from the first day, uh, or give love from the first day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of a pointless day, but it was really just us like getting comfortable in the space. Right. Uh, whenever it was, we had Anthony DaCosta booked, he came in, it was one-on-one. We just did an acoustic day, just he and I, uh, we both, Paul and I were very, very pleased with Anthony and his playing um, so we invited him back the next day, which is when we had bass and drums, Dom right. Billet and Will Honaker. Um, and so that second day was the four of us, but we only had eight channels because the the mix, the the console wasn't wired yet. So we had to go direct into the tape machine. So
1: do you think you would have done it on, done we, it to tape? If not, we for, were definitely
0: doing it to tape, yeah. but we weren't able to go through the board and have like control yeah. over like all this stuff. So it was eight channels into the tape machine, dumped into Pro Tools in like kind of a round robin way. And, um, but so, so the idea, if we had the console, we would have been able to separate more tracks. We would have been mm-hmm. able to have Paul play live with us. But when we had four, I think max was four, four instruments. So um, Anthony had an amp mic. I had mic on my vocal and my guitar. Dom had, I think maybe three or four mics on his drums and Will went direct. Uh, on bass, so when Anthony wasn't there, that was replaced by Paul on keys, mm-hmm. um, and so whatever we needed to overdub, we did after the band left. So we did three days of full band tracking. We did about seventeen songs, and then um, the rest of the time I was in Nashville. We uh, added guitars that I needed to add, and you know, vocal doubles and harmonies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the only the only things that didn't happen in that specific time frame. Was uh, some guest vocals and uh, Kathleen Edwards and uh, Lauren Balthrop
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Al Olander. Uh, and that was all just done separate after the fact.
1: I think you have a, a an interesting like curatorial uh, side as far as like the artists whose voices you um, highlight, like your um, Evangeline who who played at your show, mm-hmm. and you featured Kathleen Edwards. If, like, what makes a great voice to you?
0: I think uniqueness, mm-hmm. you know, I think the same way, like a person who, I don't know, like guitar playing, this is like when you hear a guitar and you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's Mark Knopfler. Mm-hmm. Like, you you know it when you hear it. And it's the same thing with the voice. Like, you know, there's something to be said for people who are very specifically, you know, thinking about like Emmylou Harris, right? Yes. Like the queen of harmony or of like guest vocals. Like, you know, her, the instant she opens her mouth. Um, and that, that that's just like, Something that you, I always want to have a little extra, to me.
1: Yeah, you know? you're not like trying to hire some like a an anonymous no. harmony singer. Right. It's it's. Yeah. I think it's often like a feature when it when it happens right. in your songs. Um, who is the speaker on "Give Love" and who is the you? Because there's mm. some advice given, and who's who?
0: <laughs> I think oh, I think they're both me. Uh, put me on the spot though, I can't. I'm trying to remember the, all the lyrics. I think, I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, 9 out of 10 times, it's me talking to me and all the songs, right? Like, I'm not trying, I'm never trying to be preachy to anybody else. Um, it's really just trying to explain to myself uh, the things that will uh, ease my concerns. You know, what are you worried about? Yeah, that's definitely me talking to me, you know, just just fucking relax. Open, <laughs> open up a bottle of wine, have, have yourself an existential crisis. Um, you know, the dad joke is it's definitely me yeah I I don't think it's you know I'm not I wasn't creating a different persona of that song
1: a thread that I feel like is running through not only your music but our conversation now is um how important it is not to preach to people everything that can go wrong when you try to explain yourself talk face to face what are the circumstances for you under which conversation works like, when does it, when is it the right thing to like talk about what you think?
0: I have no problem talking about what I think. I'm just always worried about insulting someone
1: mm-hmm.
0: with what I think or hurting someone's feelings. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just the de- the death thing a little while ago, you know, like yeah. that. I'm worried that someone's gonna take offense to that, right. you know? And maybe that's just because I was raised Catholic. Oh,
1: uh, it all goes back to yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: that, that, that's what I always blame it on, you know? Like the guilt, I, I just worry that I'm, you know, I try to tread lightly and I think I've been in enough conversations with people who maybe are a little poisonous in conversation to make you feel like, like you're being manipulative when you're not. I don't like, mm. I don't know if that's articulate enough, but like I've been in enough situations where I know that I've buried myself in a hole just mm. by speaking my mind yes, and being like, wait a minute, wait a minute, how did I, how did I screw this up in this relationship? Right. Like, what? what are you talking about? All I did was say right. the thing that like, are you hearing me preaching to you? Because if that's the situation, then we let's talk that out. You know, let's let's
4: right.
0: let's address my tone, maybe. Like, I don't know what you're hearing, but I'm not I'm not telling you how to live. You know, right. I'm just talking about what I think. And I think a lot of that comes, you know, people. I think I, I give off a very Queen's I'm walking here kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Like, I think I, I am very passionate about my beliefs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, in person, and I think it, that could maybe come off as uh, as intense, so I don't know. I try, I try pretty hard to like to be unabrasive.
1: Do you feel like um, your gender identity plays into that? Like you talked before about like not wanting to do like the white guy blues, <laughs> and I sense something similar in like not wanting to be like a mansplainer. Is that off?
0: Um, I don't. I definitely don't want to be a mansplainer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anybody. Who, I do know people who do. Like I know yeah, people who do. I yeah. do know people who do. Oh my god, and that and it upsets me. It's, it's a it's a self-awareness thing I mm-hmm. think all it is I think maybe I'd rather come off as overly self-aware mm-hmm. than not so yeah. if if it's my if it's a detriment for me to be like the guy who's constantly concerned I don't know fuck that I'd rather be that person than uh, you know this like macho thing that I, I, it, it i don't know it boggles my mind that that kind of self-awareness can be lacked you know,
1: mm-hmm. um, and with the Internet, like we're so aware, I feel like there was a time when there were really like self-important assholes all around us mm-hmm. and you might run into them at work or at the grocery store or whatever, but you wouldn't have like pages and pages of their personal beliefs, yes. like available <laughs> yeah. to you on your phone. Exactly. And now exactly. we just like know everyone's worst opinions.
0: Yes, yes. And I think, you know, I think there's something that I'm learning, especially in current times is that. It's just trying. Like I could be so judgy. Mm-hmm. I really could be, and I know that about myself. But um, but you're a
1: Scorpio, and we'll never know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'll just be under the surface, right? Yeah. No,
0: I don't know. I'm pretty open about my judgment. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty openly judgy. Well, I guess
1: that you have like a Queen's Rising <laughs> right. if it's uh, <laughs> Scorpio Sun.
0: The like I think that people people who I'm close I, when I'm, if I'm comfortable around you, then you then I'm happy to be judgy around you. You know what I mean? And, I'm, and I don't want to be that way always uh, cause it's ugly, but man, it, I mean, and I hate to quote myself. Is that embarrassing? But no, like, quote yourself in my own song, like if, you've I, think, been if I think you've got it coming, <laughs> yeah. I could be a son of a bitch. And that's true. That's about me. You know, mm-hmm. like, like I'm not, nobody's perfect, but if I think you've got it coming, man, I'm going to be an asshole to you. Like I, I don't think my mother used to say, and she still does kill him with kindness. That's her mm-hmm. thing. Kill him with kindness, kill him with kindness. My whole life, she would say, "Kill him with kindness," and I think that's such a great quality. People who could be always kind all the time. No, man, if you piss me off, you're like I. It's a Sicilian thing, you know. Like, no way. You get if you if you burn this bridge, you got to do a lot of work to get it back together.
1: That's the most Scorpio thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I well, like you kind of have to be that way to be a songwriter because I you have a song where you say like. Don't talk shit about your exes or something. Yeah, yeah. But well, I think you end you up or no, it, it, you it's, can. It,
0: yeah, do whatever you got to do to get the thing. That's that the whole purpose of that verse. Right. It's like do what you got to do to get through this.
1: Yeah, I think it's good to sometimes like burn a bridge and like write the worst thing you could imagine, even if you don't release that song. You <laughs> yeah, know, sure, writing sure, it sure. down can yeah. help. Um, I want to know about your walking and running. Uh-huh. Who who are you in your mind? Like what's the state of mind while you're on the move? And is it similar to your performing self?
0: Uh I think it's similar to my, my younger self.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I am, it's, it might be, un, it's probably borderline unhealthy. Uh, the person I am when I'm running, but, uh, it's the most therapy like I can get is being in my head for that long without a phone in my hand.
4: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so it's very hateful. <laughs> it's very, like it's a lot of self hate. Um, but, I was, a, I was a runner in high school, and I was never good enough to, like, to be really top of the line, but uh, it was enough to like, get the bug, and then I didn't run for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the pandemic really brought it out in me, and I found, I found it again. Like, for me, the reason why I never did it for the longest time was because I had the standard of what, how fast I needed to go and how far I needed to go, and then that was erased. The pandemic forced me out of the house to, to get out of the house, first of all, alone which I'm excellent at uh, and yeah and then all of a sudden I, I, I would just tell myself which is counter to what I'm saying but I would I would be kind to myself about the distance like just go where, however this is not a race just do what you need to do get the run done and come back but in the grand scheme the the beating yourself up starts to like pile up and it's who I was then and it's who I am now when I revert back to that person so it's not who I am on stage any these days but maybe when I was in my past life, I would play shows and I would hate myself for every little mistake. You know, you play one, one wrong chord, something goes wrong. Um, I would live with it for a week. You know, I would, I would relive the, the show and be so angry mm-hmm. at that, uh, that it wasn't good enough. Yeah. That that's me reverting to that person. I think when I go for a run, but now I'm on stage, I'm the happiest. That's my, that's, that's, absolutely my most comfortable Mm -hmm. place.
1: How did you get there? Asking for a friend.
0: I just I just think I just think knowing that it's experience Mm -hmm. like having been to those situations where it sucked and I hated myself for it coming out of it okay Um, and I think just believing in the songs like back then I didn't believe in the songs right I wasn't able to tell the story I wasn't able to if you're on stage singing to somebody a thing and you're you don't even believe it then what the fuck are they hearing you know like Mm -hmm. so something changes when you're writing something that you believe I'm telling it in the truest way I can tell it you know even though sometimes I'm thinking about what I'll have for dinner that night I'm still telling it in the truest Mm -hmm. way I can tell it you know Uh, and it's coming off confident because it's confident right Um, and I don't care if I fuck it up I've there have been times where I've forgotten complete verses you know and I don't get mad anymore at that kind of thing that that I've known that also as an audience member I love that shit when that oh happens God. on stage, that makes that's for a better
1: show. I toured with Sam Beam. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would mind if I said this, but like every other night there was like half a verse he would forget and it was the swaggiest shit you can yeah. imagine because also when like the whole audience can t- mm-hmm. can sing your Discography back to. You. I think there's also like a really useful removal of ego in those moments where you don't necessarily have to be confident about yourself, but you can be confident about your work. Mm-hmm. And that's like a backdoor into acceptance. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. Would you like to do a lightning round? Yeah. Everyone listen to Matt's new album. It's so good. It's so humane. Thank you. It's hopeful. Um, okay, let's do a lightning round. Sure. Don't think too hard about it. Gut hmm. instinct. What is your favorite holiday?
0: My favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas.
1: What is one song you wish you wrote?
0: Oh my God. Good question. Um, oh no. I can't even think of titles right now.
1: We'll skip it. Mm-hmm. We can come back to it. Mm-hmm. What fictional character would be the best companion for you on a road trip?
0: <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, Fozzie Bear.
1: Oh yeah. Um, if Mabel, your dog, could talk, what would her first words be?
0: Are we going outside?
1: What is your favorite Tom Petty song?
0: Mm, Angel Dream.
1: What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Coffee. What is the best time of day to write a song? Morning. Who is your celebrity crush?
0: Uh Big Rachel Vice person.
1: That's my celebrity crush! Is that right? Wow. I saw the mummy and I never recovered beautiful. She's so mysterious. Yeah, yeah. I think she's, she's great. She's very mysterious. I think she's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the best age to be?
0: Uh, 42.
1: What is your most useful non-musical skill?
0: Helping people move.
1: Okay, swinging back around. One <laughs> song you wish you wrote.
0: I'm gonna go way back. I don't know that I feel this way anymore, but it is still one of the songs I wish I wrote. Mm-hmm. I've always... Ray LaMontagne's Jolene. Oh, God. I just think that, that, that is a perfect, like, the imagery, everything about that. But that's like like back in the day when I used to go to sleep listening to music, you know? Mm-hmm. That was probably my most listened to song ever on iTunes because mm-hmm. it was the first song on that playlist that I would press play before I went to bed. You know, it's like one of yeah, those kind time. of things. So, yeah, that song just kills me. It's one of the six I could play on piano, too.
1: It's like, it kind of crumples you up because of yeah. the way the chord progression and the yeah. It's so sad
0: Picture you holding a picture of me in a pocket of my blue jeans
1: Woo. That's so romantic Little And lines. that's 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 these typed pages I'm mm-hmm. touching <laughs> Picture of you holding a picture of me Okay, Matt Susich, you've been a wonderful guest Thank you, Lizzie. Nell. I love Holy Smokes Everyone,
2: go buy it This episode of Basic Folk was produced by John Nungesser. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes there. You can search for us on the SiriusXM app under Basic Folk. You can go to our website, basicfolk.com, or you can find us wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.